Good morning to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and you've been so grateful to us, so good to us, rather, and we're grateful to you. So, Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you today. So change us in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. We're turned to Acts 22, Acts 22. The topic is my faith story. Everyone say my faith story. story. Uh, In our staff meeting on Wednesdays, we've done something the last several months, and that is we've asked a different staff person to share their testimony, how they came to Christ. It has been so much fun to hear the stories of these, our friends, and some of us have been friends for years, and we've never heard their story. And so my time came up, and I shared my story, and a number of the staff said this. Why did you make all that up? No, they didn't say that. Uh, They said, uh, we've been around here for years, and we've never heard you tell your story. I think it'd be good if the church heard your story. So that's what we're doing today. And let me share some good news with you. We just announced our end of the year giving projects. We do this every year. And without barely announcing it, we got enough money for a motorcycle. Say, praise God. We got a motorcycle and a little bit of a tire. (laughs) And then about four grand came in to help refugees, Israeli and Palestinian and Christians in the war zone. And so we're excited about that. So I'm kind of excited to hear what comes in today. Now, uh, do you have a testimony? If you have a testimony, hold your hand up. If you don't have a testimony, should we get you one? Um, Please take notes today. Maybe you don't ever take notes. Take the notes today. Because every one of us in the room, we all have a calling from God. This may help you with your calling. And God works a little differently with every person. So I'm suggesting this will help you. Now let's read Paul's testimony. So you got your Bibles? Hold your Bibles up. Let me see your Bibles. Got your Bibles. We got them out in the foyer if you need one. And I'm reading out of English Standard today. Chapter 22, verse 3, it seems like on every other page, Paul is telling his testimony. He falls out of bed. He said, I was on my way to Damascus, persecuting the church. Bright light hit me. I'm on my back. And then I say, hear this voice. He says it over and over. I share my testimony a lot, just spurts of it with people I talk to. So listen to it. Verse 3, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia. Brought up in this city, educated in the, at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the greatest Jewish rabbis ever, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, and, he, and being zealous for God, just as all of you are today. And I persecuted the way, say the way? That was the initial name for Christianity. I persecuted the way to death, blinding, uh, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. 
as a high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. And from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who are with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, well, what shall I do, Lord? You know, I have found people who are seekers ask the same two questions. Who are you? And what, what does this mean? What should I do? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that's appointed for you to do. Now, let me set some parameters as I kind of share my story with you. This is not about me. I'm in the story. I'm a small part of the story. The story is about the faithfulness of God. To chase down such a rascal... <clears throat> to capture a rascal, to transform a rascal, his faithfulness to reach me and his faithfulness to teach me. Because every time I've had an encounter, <clears throat> it's about transformation, it's about truth. And I'm going to list some of these. So your, your pastor would suggest to all of us in the room Well, let me say it again. <laughs> let me walk down there. Always respond to what the Lord is saying. Always. Always tell him yes. Tell him I want to. Because he's going to reach out this next year. And as he reaches out, you need to be responsive. You want your heart to be tender. You don't want your heart to be hard. You don't want your heart to be full of fear. So always say yes. Everyone say yes. One more time, say yes. yes. One more time, say yes. And the reason we say yes is because he loves us. He's crazy about us. He wants to help us. He believes in us. So say yes to him. Say no to yourself, yes to him. Plus, you do not want to miss what he's got for you. It's, it's a sad fact. I believe most Christians don't seek his face and most Christians don't know God's will for their life. Because they don't take time. So you don't want to miss. You don't want to miss what he's got for you this coming year. That's for all of us, whether you're age 6 or 66 or 86. You don't want to miss. Now the things I'm going to share, I'm going to tell stories, but I'm also going to share principles of what those stories, how they imprinted me, and how they shaped me. Disclaimer. I have never followed the Lord perfectly. And you haven't either. And there's a little grace there. When I mess up, there's grace. There's forgiveness. 
because he's good. He's a good father. But I will say this for 51 years. I've been at this 51 years. I've tried. I've tried. And that's what he's looking for, for us to try. How many have tried? Hold your hand up. Just try. Get up the next day. Try again. Your pastor has made mistakes. I've made more mistakes than probably anybody in the room. I thought God was saying zig when actually he stopped or he zagged. He told me to stop and I went on. I've made mistakes. I have missed God. It's just part of walking. You're going to miss it. Sometimes the shepherd wants this and we're hard-headed sheep and we get it wrong. I have been wounded. I have been hurt. Uh, I've been hurt so bad. I've even contemplated it's not worth following Jesus. But that usually lasted about 24 hours. Not long. But the main thing, all of us, we need to get up. Just get up, no matter who disappoints you, no matter who hurts you, no matter what mistake you make, you made a bad choice on Saturday, repent, get up, walk again. Don't stay in your stuff. So the bottom line of what I'm going to share today, I just want to bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. You may, after we're done today, you may think, gosh, God can use that knucklehead. He can surely use me. So maybe I will inspire you that way. God uses hillbillies, so that'll work. Here's first principle. Principle number one. Everyone say number one. Here's the principle, and that making time for people. Jesus made time for people. He made time for people. He's the busiest guy that's ever lived, but he made time for a guy up in a tree that everybody hated and wanted to kill. And he said, by the way, let's stop the parade. Come on down here. We need to talk. He made time for the woman at the well. He made time for a mixed up scribe named, uh, gosh, Nicodemus. He made time for people that had messed up. He just made time for people. Because that's the way he is. He cares, therefore we should care. Well, what's the story? Here's the picture of my home church. At the time, I'm 17 years of age. My family's been in this church three generations. My grandfather, when the original church burned because of a lightning strike, he was out there in the middle of the storm with a horse and buggy directing men how to get started again after the church burned to the ground. So that's the church I'm raised in. I'm 17 years of age. I'm a senior in high school. I got lots of friends. We farmed. Uh, I had my own cattle. I had some money. I had everything a 17-year-old would want. I had it, and yet I was empty. And I couldn't figure out what it was. So one night, I decided to talk to my older pastor. So I waited until everybody left the church on a Sunday night. And I was so embarrassed because I'd never had a talk about God to anybody. My family never prayed. My family never read the Bible. And I didn't even know how to bring it up, but I just knew I was in bad shape. So I started the conversation kind of like this, saying, Pastor, I'm not doing well. I'm empty, 
I'm searching. I have a huge, huge void. I'm looking for purpose. And then I even said this. And I think it has something to do with God because I got everything. Now, you would think that pastor would have got that clue, you know? So I thought, he'll talk to me. He'll help me. He'll show me what to do. And so I followed him into his office. Great, we'll sit down. He never sat down. He shuffled a few papers. Then he turned around and walked out, and he cut the light off. And normally when somebody cuts a light off in a room, it's a sign. It's time to go. So I followed this pastor down the hallway, thinking, well, we're, we're going to another room and talk. Great, we'll go to another room and talk. He went to the side entrance. He opened the door, held it as I walked out. I go, well, maybe we'll talk outside. I followed him down the sidewalk, and he went to his car. I go, maybe we'll sit on his car and talk. But he never said a word to me. And I'm just going, where is this going? Until he opened the car door, and he's standing between the car door and the frame, and he put his hand out and patted me three times on my right shoulder, and he said this, Son, you're going through a phase. You'll get over it. And he got in his car, cranked it, and drove off, leaving me standing under a streetlight. And I just went, what just happened? First, I was surprised. Then I got irritated. Then I got angry. Then I was bitter for 10 years. How many? 10 years. And I went, I'm never going to trust people like that. How many have had some church wound? Hold your hand up. If you've been around church, you can get it. It's part of it. I don't like Christians. I don't like church. So that's out. Uh, 30 days went by. It's a Friday night. I'm getting ready to go party and do things I shouldn't do. And my Methodist wonderful in the choir, never missed Sunday school, Methodist mom came in. And she came in, I guess, to check on her party boy. And uh, like you mothers do. And I said, Mom can I ask you some questions? And she looked at me like, uh-oh, what questions would you ask? I know I caught off guard, but I said, how do I know God exists? How do I know if he's caring or not? I didn't tell her I was thinking about taking my life. I was voted the most popular guy in my senior class, but here I am thinking about taking my life, being a Satanist, being a Buddhist, or a complete hedonist. And I said, if I was to die, how would I know if I went to heaven or not? Can anyone know that? And when I said, when all three questions came out, a dab of emotions broke and I started weeping uncontrollably. I'd blown my knee out in football camp the previous year. Body goes this way, leg goes that way. I knew what that pain was like, but this was worse. And my sweet mama came up to me, and she hugged me, and she started wailing. You know, when your kid's not doing good, you're not doing good. And what she said made it worse. 
through tears, she said, I can't help you. And I remember holding my mom, us both weeping, tears running down our cheeks, and I looked up and I thought to myself, I am so bad in trouble. Because the only two people that might have a clue either don't care or they don't have a clue. Number two, everyone say number two. The principle is respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't know the Holy Spirit at the time. I didn't know the Lord. So in my despair, after striking out twice and having this turmoil on the inside, we lived on a small family farm. had been in the family for generations. <clears throat> we raised cattle. We had horses. <clears throat> my grandfather, around 1900, planted a small orchard, apple orchard. Some of the trees were dead. So it's midnight, spring night, and I'm just walking under those apple trees. And I pray the first prayer I'd ever prayed. Do any of you remember your first prayer? This is my first prayer. There was an invisible one in the apple orchard I didn't know. He called me out there. I didn't know he was there. So he put a prayer in my heart, and here's the prayer. I just said, God, if you are real, I'm only asking one thing. One, would you reveal yourself to me? That's all I want. If you reveal yourself to me, I'm in. I'll go anywhere. I'll be anything. I'll do anything you want me to be. I'm in. But if you don't reveal yourself to me, either because you don't care or you're not there or you're some weak local God, then I'm going to live my life just for myself. And when I die, just like all the horses and cattle and pets we've buried on this farm with tractors, my bones will decay in this red clay. I didn't feel any better. But that prayer changed things. Because in 90 days, I was in. I was convinced. 90 days. Third point, say number three. And that is the obligation we have to share the gospel. To engage people with the gospel. The gospel is good news. Is it good news? Yes or no? It's good news for everyone. My own pastor couldn't do it. My own mother couldn't do it. My church couldn't do it. My family couldn't do it. I was bankrupt. Where do I meet God? Outside of a bar at midnight in a college town. It's a place called Clemson. Everyone say Clemson. Oh, isn't that so sweet? Oh, sweet, sweet. I come out of that bar, that gray building. I come out of those doors. I'm a party boy. I'm inebriated. I'm going across the street to be with more party boys who are idiots like me. I come out of the bar. I'm a tall guy. I'm standing on the curb. 
on the sidewalk, and I see the most amazing sight I've ever seen. It stunned me. 1972, two street preachers in black suits with short hair, with white shirts and black ties from Bob Jones University talking to drunks, potheads, and long hairs. And there was a mob of young men around them at midnight. And one guy said from the mob, let's beat these guys up. And I had so much anger, I thought, that's a great idea. I'd love to throw a punch at some of these guys. But before I could, God set me up. There was a muscular man with guns. Everyone say guns. Right in front of me. He was down in the street. He had sleeveless shirts. I have water guns. He had real guns. He had a blonde Fu Manchu mustache. He had a long braided blonde ponytail that went down to his mid-back. And he put up his muscular arms and he said, No! Let's listen to what these men have to say. For all I know, he stepped out of the invisible realm to help me that night. So the whole mob quieted down. I don't remember a thing that was said, but there was an invisible one in the street, and he had a 10-foot harpoon that was invisible in his right hand, and it had a 2,000-mile-long rope, and he reared back, and he threw that harpoon at the speed of light, and it hit me right in the chest. And he held onto the rope. I stumbled to my car that night, obviously. I should not have been driving. I stumbled to my car. I fumbled with my car keys. And because I had been just impaled, something came out of my mouth. Those men have what I need. And I inch closer. This is one of my life verses. A son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Steve, that's what I do. That's what I want you to do. This is a picture of my wonderful mom and dad who I love with all my heart. Mom tried. She just didn't know what to do to help me. My father was a different case. He was a six-foot, 200-pound man whose own father abandoned his family when he was a boy, and he was raised by a single mother, and a godly grandfather from across the road helped him. My grandmother made sure that my dad and his two sisters were in church all the time. My dad went to World War II, and he was a flight engineer on a B-29. I have his flight record book. In other words, he would plot the bombing course to drop bombs on Japan. I have, it. I have his, his flight record where it says in my dad's handwriting, I just, we just heard on the radio, the war's over, we're coming home. My dad was a moral man. My dad was a tough guy. My dad was a baseball player. My dad could hit a, 
uh, a golf ball seemingly 10 feet off the ground for 200 yards straight every time. I never could see how to do that. But since I found Christ, I had a subtle fear that I didn't know I had, and that was that my dad would die young because both my grandfathers did. I never knew my grandfathers. And my dad was a chain smoker. He always had a cigarette in his lip or between his fingers because the Army Air Corps gave every young man two packs of cigarettes every day. That's how my dad learned to smoke. And I thought he's going to die of a heart attack one day. They're probably 65 in this picture. And I got burdened for my dad. And I'd only been a Christian 10 months or so. I didn't know how to talk to anybody about Jesus. I was so, is it harder or easier to talk to family? Which one, harder or easier? I just prayed. I didn't know what to do. One night I'm going out, probably working with a youth group at this time. And my dad stopped me before I left. He said, could you help me out? I said, what, what you need, dad? He said, we had a truck run through one of our fences and I need help getting it back up to keep the horses in. Would you give me some time and repair the fence? And I thought to myself, aha, this is my chance. I said, I'd love to help you under one condition. What's that? Let's sit on our front porch in the rocking chairs and let's have a glass of sweet tea. You know, the kind that rots your teeth out in one week, you know. <laughs> Kill a diabetic in three steps. That old southern sweet tea. Let's have a glass of sweet tea and can we talk about some stuff? He said, sure. Fixed the fence. Sat on the front porch. I was scared spitless. I just brought it up. Dad, I've been in your house 19 years. I know you're a good man. I know you're faithful to my mom. I know you never lie, cheat, or steal, and you're hardworking and generous. But he said, I said, I don't know anything about your faith. You've never said a word. I've never seen you read the Bible. I've never heard you pray. And I have this fear, and it's real, that if you, you were to die of a heart attack or something else, and I didn't know you were going to heaven, it would cripple me for the rest of my life. Dad, please help me. Where are you with God? This is what he said. Surprised the heck out of me, he said. Well, my Baptist church had a revival, Spartanburg County, age 16, evangelist gave the invitation. I came forward, gave my heart to Christ. Well, that messed me up. <laughs> One, I was thrilled and happy. And two, I was angry and annoyed. I said, Dad, that's wonderful. But your sons are party, have been party wicked men. We could have died a thousand times in car wrecks and stupid stuff, and we've never heard you say a word. 
Well, in the 70s and 60s, men were not taught to do this. But let me tell you what happened. My dad, from that moment on, became my friend, started growing in his faith, and was one of my biggest supporters. Number four, everyone say number four. The treasure of a godly mentor. Well, what do you mean a godly mentor? Walking with Jesus is not an easy deal. It's not a slam dunk. The learning curve is steeper than anything you will ever do. Because we deal with intangibles. And if you don't have somebody to show you, to walk with you, to teach you, to answer your questions, it's hard to figure out. And here's what Paul said. This is in uh, Timothy to this young preacher. Timothy was working in Crete, a rough place. He said, from the things you've heard and seen in me, entrust those spiritual treasures to faithful men. Everyone say faithful men who will in turn pass it on to others. Okay, so how many generations are here? How many generations? Count. How many generations? Three. How many? Four. Four generations. Why four? Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. Now, so the goal is to get a mentor. And then the goal, if you've been a Christian longer than two years, how many have been Christians longer than two years? The goal is to be mentors to other people, to help them, to pay it forward. And this was my mentor. Jerry Mobley was 26 when he came into my life at age 18. He'd been an all-state linebacker. He got a scholarship to University of South Carolina. He got injured, lost his scholarship, went to a wonderful school called Clemson, everyone say Clemson, a wonderful school called Clemson. And he started Campus Crusade for there as a freshman, which has impacted millions of people. He gave me a ride home from baseball practice one night. We sat in his car. I didn't know he was a believer. I thought he was just a baseball coach, 26-year-old English teacher. And we talked about the Lord for two hours. And when I received Christ, he became my mentor. I chased him. He was what I was not. So the things he loved, I learned to love. He shared his faith on a regular basis. He read the scriptures through. I read the scriptures through. He was a man of prayer. He was imperfect. And he always admitted it when he messed up. He could love anybody, talk to anybody. Homeless guy, PhD. He could talk to all of them. And he imprinted me. And without Jerry Mobley, I wouldn't have made it. I'd have gone back. Now let me tell you what happened three years ago. I've not seen him in 20, 25 years. I couldn't find him. I found out he was a counseling professor at a state school in Georgia. Took me five tries. I finally found him. I bought a car three years ago in Atlanta, and I said, would you meet me halfway in Atlanta? We had a three-hour lunch. And I just had to say, the people I help are all because you help me. 
And we all owe you. So thank you for being there when I needed you. Number five, everyone say number five. Power of teaching God's word. The scripture says my word will not return void. It will always accomplish what I want it to accomplish. Here I am. I've been a Christian about two weeks. We have a youth group, a big, huge youth group of five people. And the lady in charge of our youth group was a family friend. Her name was Miss Rose. She had a couple of kids in there, and I was in there, but I just become a Christian two weeks earlier. And so we had our youth group, and she started off the youth group with she and five kids, me, one of them, and said, well, you know, I haven't had time to prepare a lesson. So if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to say a prayer, we'll all go home. And then she said, unless someone has something to say. (laughs) Steve, you got something to say? Yeah, I do. Well, what is it? Well, I was reading the Bible this morning. The book of Matthew, chapter 5. And it talked about nine things, and I think it's called be somethings. Be, be somethings, be somethings. And I think it's something we should be. And just as a crazy on fire idiot, I rattled off the nine things. And I said, I think this is what this means. And I think this is what this means. I think this is what this means. And I was just enthused. And what got me was, A 15-year-old boy in that group went home and told his mother, I've never heard anything like that before. That was awesome. That made me want to read my Bible. So he told his mother. His mother told my mother. And my mother told me. And since they didn't have a youth group leader, the next week I was a youth group leader. (laughs) Did I know what I was doing? No. But we got in the scriptures and we had a lot of fun. Got in the scriptures, had a lot of fun. Number six, everyone say number six. The value of a prayer life. Say this out loud with me, please. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, since Jerry was a man of prayer, I started seeing value in prayer, even though I'd never seen that before. Jerry could open the scriptures and make it talk. I'd never seen that before. I started praying, and this is where I started praying. I grew up in this old farmhouse. It was around 100 years, three generations in that farmhouse, and there were three green rocking chairs that my grandfather bought about 1910. And I started going, sitting on that porch about 10 o'clock at night. And I started talking to God. Five minutes, eight minutes. And I enjoyed it. I felt better. And then I started prayer walking. Sitting or kneeling was boring. Walking and praying was invigorating. 
So everywhere I've lived for 45 years, I have walked and prayed. Walked and prayed. When we moved to Maysville to be a youth pastor, Little Methodist Church on the river, our little bitty house was three blocks from the Ohio River. I would walk and pray along the banks of the Ohio River. We moved to Shelbyville, Kentucky. You know where that is? Between Frankfurt and Louisville? Little bitty church. Little bitty church full of 50 angry old people. (laughs) This sign had fallen down and nobody cared enough to put it back up. The previous year, they got in an indoor toilet and they were thrilled. So I had one year of seminary left Two semesters, and I thought, well, I could do anything for two semesters. They paid me $5,500. We lived off $5,500 that year. But there was a road beside our little church called Olive Branch Road. And guess what I started doing? Walking and praying. It was a mile and a half long through deserted farms. And so it'd be 30 minutes down, 30 minutes back, and the Lord would meet me on that road. Some days it was boring. Some days I wondered if anything happened, and some days it was glorious. But I attempted to do it every day. Now this guy named Uzziah, one day I'm reading this verse, and this became a theme. Say it with me, please. As long as he sought the Lord... God made him to prosper. That little church grew. We started seeing people come to Christ every week. People started driving from five counties. It became a great family. Instead of staying there one year, we stayed there seven years. Number seven. Everyone say seven. This is important. It's the necessary part of the Christian life, and that is you got to hear God's voice. God speaks to you far more than you understand. Just like the little fellow who's probably seven, eight, nine years of age named Samuel, God spoke to him and said, Samuel, Samuel. And he went three times to Eli, and Eli figured, oh, it's just your imagination. Then he figured out, no. When the Lord calls you the next time, say, Here am I, your servant is listening. Say it with me, please. Here am I, your servant is listening. Now, it's not always easy. Sometimes I'm not sure. Sometimes I don't have a clue. But it's rewarding because when he speaks, it's more important than when anybody else speaks. When he touches, it's more important than anybody else's touch. And today, that's why I've asked you to take notes. God's Spirit, good chance, is going to speak to you every time the Word is opened by somebody. He's going to speak to you tonight. He's going to speak to you tomorrow. And you need to write down and test what He's seeing to see if it's Him 
or you are some demonic spirit trying to mess with you. And I've had this premise after all these years. If I know I am where God wants me to be, it can be horrible. It can be nothing going on. It can be bad. But if I know he wants me there, that's all that matters. So if I know where he wants me to be, and if I know I'm doing what he wants me to do, and if you have that as a value, you're going to do well in life. You're going to do very well in life. Doesn't mean you won't have trials. Doesn't mean you won't have troubles. Doesn't mean you won't have difficulties, but you'll get through every single one of them. Now, this is Oral Roberts University, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was at Clemson for a year. Crew or crusade got me off the streets, got me hanging around with those. That's the first time I met college kids that loved Jesus. I'd never seen that before. They changed my life. Crew did at Clemson. But... I heard that this new school had a communication arts department. That's long before Asbury, long before UK, long before Clemson. Theater, drama, public speaking, radio, television, film. When I heard about that, I went, whoa, that's where I need to be. So I went out to visit three days. I was 19 years of age. I did what I usually do. I went prayer walking at night, and I'm on the campus there at Old Roberts University, and I heard the whisper. You see, the devil's voice is loud, clamoring, pushy, demeaning. It's always got a twist, and it'll always put you down. Well, you're never going to do this, and you're never going to do that, and you're never this. The voice of God's Spirit is gentle, can be powerful. But I heard the whisper, and the whisper said this, this is where I want you. Not to my ear, to my heart. Five months later, I was a sophomore there, and God changed my life. Now, the greatest adventure in all the world for any person is to learn to discern God's will for your life. He knows the future. He knows who he's already prepared. He knows where you'll be happiest. And he's not going to waste you or waste your life or waste your gifts at all till the last day you go home. And here's the story of the Apostle Paul. He and a preaching team are going from Galatia down to Asia, down toward Ephesus to preach the gospel. The Spirit of God said, nope. And he heard it. Then he's going to go northwest in what is Bithynia and preach the gospel there. And the Spirit of God said, no. Now, when God's Spirit tells you no right here, don't do it. Whatever it is, don't do it. Stop. It's a little check in your heart. It doesn't feel right. And then the very next night, he had a dream where a man from Greece said, we need you. Come over. Come over to Macedon. Now, I believe discerning God's will is a skill set. Anybody can learn it. It just takes time. It takes missing it and getting it right. 
But that's something you want to learn to do. I don't know if you recognize a young couple in this picture. But I started dating this woman named Sue Dorsey. And we dated for a year. I was crazy in love with her, and she kind of liked me. But as we got closer and closer and closer, my greatest concern was not what a great woman she was. But Lord, is this what what you want for both of us? Man, I, I was so in love with that woman I could not see straight, much less hear God. I said, honey, we got to break up for a month so I can hear God. We broke up for a month. The Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, don't you worry about it. It'll work out. She's probably thinking I'll get a better guy. (laughs) I'm crying every single day. I'm crying my eyes out. But through a series of check boxes, God's Spirit made it clear that we were to be married, and that's been 43 years ago. Recognize this, please? Working for a newspaper. Sue is teaching first grade in the public school. I feel a stirring. She feels a stirring. I'm running about five ministries as a volunteer, but I need to go to seminary. She knew it before I did. I complained to God. I insisted I wanted to be financially well off before I served him. By the way, don't tell God when you're going to serve him. It doesn't really work so well. He doesn't really need your advice on anything. And finally, I hammered through that, and we visited Asbury Seminary. I do what worked. I got up early. I go across the street to Asbury University, those beautiful oak trees. I'm prayer walking back and forth, saying, Lord, what do you want? I heard the whisper. This is where I want you. Four months later, we were living in everybody's dream location. Paris, London, Los Angeles, or Wilmore. You just take your pick. I thought it was for three years. I didn't realize it'd be 43 Number eight, the prominent love that Jesus has for his church. Does Jesus love the church? Yes or no? He does. He gave his life for the church, and he loves the church. And for all of us that have had church wounds and disappointments and stuff, it was crazy. But I've learned to love God's people whether they're in the Philippines or whether they're in Canada or whether across the street or Lexington. And I kept getting questions when I'd read the Bible, like from John 21, where Peter had denied the Savior three times and Jesus took him for a walk on the Sea of Galilee and asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Well, would you serve my people? Two minutes later, Peter, do you love me? Well, I thought you just asked me that. Yeah, I love you. Well, tend my sheep. Third time, Peter, do you really love me? Yeah, I love you. Spend your life feeding my people. I was 18. I'd been a believer about a month. 
and I got a miracle. To me, it was the greatest miracle. Well, what's a miracle? Here's a miracle. In one day, I went from skepticism and anger and apathy to commitment and devotion to Jesus' family. One day. Just like Paul did, just like Wesley did, and like it's happening all over the world today. Well, how did it happen? Because he asked me a question. Remember the whisper? The whisper was, it was clear. Steve, are you going to curse the darkness because of what didn't happen for you and who hurt you and how you were disappointed? Or are you going to light a candle? I didn't even think. I just went, I will light candles the rest of my life. That's what I'm looking for. And that was the biggest sign that I was transformed. Look at this picture. You know, the old cartoon, where's Waldo? Can you find Steve-O in the picture? Where's Steve-O? Does anybody think you see Steve-O in the picture? I spent two years in this Native American church in Tulsa in the rough part of town in the north. And I went because I had a senior friend that was working with children in that church. He invited me and I got hooked. I discovered it's better to be in a place that has nothing going for it, but to be connected than to not be connected and not be serving in places that have everything. So I started going. One day, you see on the second row on the right, a gentleman with a coat and tie. That is Pastor Samson Timms. So I'd go to Sunday school and go to preaching services. And when Samson preached, I never could tell what he was talking about at the beginning. I never knew what he was talking about in the middle. And after he was done an hour and 20 minutes later, I never knew what he said. But I loved him because he loved me. It was a bombed out kind of a building. One day, Samson Timms came to me after church. He said, Brother Steve, yes, sir, I I think you need to preach. I went, what? You need to preach. Uh, I'm not feeling it. I think you need to preach. I said, well, okay, when? Uh, uh, Tonight. I went, what? Tonight. Yeah, you're going to stay here all day, son. And you're going to preach tonight. It'll be your first sermon. It'll be a trial sermon. I said, it'll be a trial, all right. So I told him everything I knew in about eight minutes, sat down, and he gave me the keys and said, you're preaching every Sunday night as long as you're in college. And this Indian church became my family. They love me. Choctaws, Cherokees, Sioux, Seminole, Wyandotte peoples. And when I graduated, I wanted my parents to be with my Indian family because they were Jesus' family. And I owe them. I owe them. 
Number nine, the importance of your call. I've been a Christian two years, two whole years. All the stuff I wanted to do, be governor, be wealthy, be famous, be on stage, it all evaporated. I started thinking, I want to give myself to stuff that'll last forever. Summer 1974, a relative of mine that worked in the South Carolina Educational Department said, Steve, we need a lifeguard at Myrtle Beach for the summer at a future Homemakers of America. None of you even heard of that. Like FFA for girls. And we want you to be the camp lifeguard all summer at Myrtle Beach. And she said, you're going to love it. It'll be you and 120 women all summer. Different groups of girls in and out. It scared the fire out of me because I was going, I don't know if I don't need to be around 120 women all summer. The Holy Spirit said, take the job. Be their chaplain, share the gospel, take only your Bible, not even a radio, no other book, and I want you to have three quiet times every day. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. One night in my little cabin at North Myrtle Beach, the Holy One came to my cabin. I never saw him. But I heard him, and I felt him, and he said this. Steve, will you serve me all your life? Then he said, don't give me an answer tonight. Because if you tell me yes, and you go back to your old wicked ways, I'll take you home before I let you do that. I want you to count the cost. Well, the next day, I told him, yes. You may say, well, if I follow Jesus really hard, how's that going to impact my family? Is that a good question? That's a good question. Well, it's the most important thing you can do for your family. Because if you don't... If you follow God hard, your family will have the greatest opportunity to also follow him. Does that make sense? If you don't follow him, they may not have a chance. Number 10, the principle of the iceberg. Everyone say iceberg. Worship team, would you guys come up? What's the principle of the iceberg? You see an iceberg in the North Atlantic Normally, what you see out of the water is only five, six, seven percent. In the spiritual realm, what you see visibly or here is five or six percent. Well, how do you know that? Because I know I only and you only will see a fraction of what really happened because the people that helped me didn't know they really helped me. This woman. She was 85. She came to my little Methodist church, my dead little Methodist church from Virginia Beach, and she spoke four days on prayer, two times a day. I did not, I had rejected the church. I didn't want to come. Somebody invited me, 
And the way I was raised, if somebody was good to your family and they invited you, you cannot be discourteous. And so when Rita said, would you like to come and hear Louise Eggleston on Sunday night? Teach on prayer? And I looked at her and I said, oh, I would love to do that. That would be so good to be in the house of the Lord with all these old people. So she snagged me, and the Lord got me. He fished me out of the water, because when I showed up halfway through the service, purposely on late, I had to come down the center aisle, and there was one seat right there, right in front of Louise. And I got the full blast. And in 10 minutes, out of my mouth came this. She has what I've been looking for all this time. When she left on Wednesday night, I was in. I was converted. I was saved. But I made the decision on my own, and Louise never talked to me. She never prayed for me. She never knew what happened. Years later, I heard somebody broke into her house and murdered her. But I'm so grateful that she came not knowing what would happen. She could have said, I'm a woman, let a man do it. She could have said, I'm old, let a young person do it. That's 12 hours, my hips hurt, I don't want to come. She never said that, she came. And I'm glad we don't see what happens. If we saw what really happened because of our love and our service, our prayers and our giving, you know what would happen? We'd either get so proud, we would disqualify ourselves, or we would get so afraid we'd crawl under our beds and never come out. So the Lord hides it from us. And sometimes I'll say, Lord, let me, don't let me see too much or I'll get proud. But let me see enough so I don't quit. Just enough. Just enough to make me get up. And really, all we are, we're seed sowers. We just sow seeds. We sow seeds. And we don't know when the crop, how the crop. And so what we're doing today, what we do at Church of the Savior, is never about us. Everyone say it. It's never about us. One more time. It's never about us. And it's never about now. It's about people we don't even know. And it's about 20 years from now. Number 11. The heart of God for awakening. Young Josiah's grandfather was the most wicked guy in the entire Old Testament. He destroyed a nation single-handedly. And yet this boy becomes king. Obviously he had a mentor, a mother, a grandmother, a scribe, a priest, somebody that taught him the ways of the Lord, and he brought about a revival. Because his nation needed an awakening. Everyone say awakening. They needed to wake up from their sleep. And our nation needs to wake up from our sleep. Someone say, man, this is our heart. This is why we do what we do every day, every week. We want to see an awakening one life at a time. One little boy, one little girl, one family, one neighborhood, one school, one prayer. And this is what is said about Josiah. Before Josiah, there was not one king, not one, 
who gave his heart to God so fully. His energy, his time, and there was not one after him. We want to be like him. Because if we're like him, we're going to see a move of God. And I kind of believe it started. Did any of you see this movie? It was out this spring, Jesus Revolution. You know why that touched me? Because that was me. 1972. And we want to say, do it again, Lord. Say it with me. Do it again, Lord. I don't have to see it, but do it again, Lord. We want this awakening. We want people to know. And the last one is that the bottom line is you and I have to be faithful. It's not about talent. It's not about age. It's about, you know, when we stand before Jesus, our sins are forgiven. So we're not going to be judged for our sins, but we're going to be rewarded. Do you know what the yardstick for reward is? Did you do what I ask you to do? Jesus says, faithful is the servant who's doing what I ask him to do when he comes. Now, this is our first little church. It didn't have that foyer on the front, 50 angry people. You see, can you see the little white house around the corner on the left? It was a wonderful dump of a place. The previous student pastor raised boxers in the house while he was gone all week. He kicked a window out of the basement so his boxer dogs could come and go. And we walked in there and we smelled. And there was one air conditioning unit at the rear of the house and fleas jumped out of the lime green carpet on our legs. And they paid us a grand total of $5,500 and said, take all this money and enjoy it all year with you and your kids. And so I'm prayer walking, going down Olive Branch Road and all that was a gravel parking lot. And I'm in front of the door when the whisper came. I'm minding my own business. And the whisper said this, yeah, you think you got two semesters to go and you're done, you're out of here, bigger and better things to go. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. He said, let me tell you what I'm thinking. If you can't be faithful here to love your wife, if you can't be faithful to lead souls to Christ, if you can't be faithful to teach the scriptures, if you can't be faithful to lead a church in prayer, if you can't be faithful to be a peacemaker, guess what, Steve? I'll never move you anywhere else for the rest of your life. Oh, that took a new turn. In that parking lot, I literally saluted and said, yes, sir. I'll stay here the rest of my life with 50 people. Of course, God blessed. But he's looking for you and I. Will we be faithful to do what we've been asked to do? 
Most important time is these next moments as we worship. Today, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is he nudging you? What is he speaking to you about? Where do you feel a stirring? I'm going to pray. We're going to open the altar, and I would just encourage you to respond. Well, I'm afraid. Well, I get it. I'm afraid a lot, too. What do I do? Pray it back. Pray what you're feeling back to him and let him provide the details. So let me pray. The altar is open. There's people that will pray. Father, thank you that you call your sheep. You know us by name. And you expect us to follow you because you have good intentions. Release faith in the room today. And for anyone that's watching or anyone that's here that's never given their heart to Christ, may they pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of all my sins and wash me clean. Come into my life today. I make you my God. In Jesus' name. Let's worship. Altar is open. Respond to him as he speaks.
Through my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able oh, I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God the goodness of God, I will see of the goodness of God. And great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, more celebrate your faithfulness 
And we just want to always say yes to you. Give us grace to do that. Keep moving in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, great weekend. Pick up your children if you need prayer. There's people here to pray with you. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take the next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.